Are we as bad as we could be? Are we born enemies of God, dead in our trespasses and sins? Do we have the ability to turn to God in and of ourselves? Or is it all a work of God to pull us out of the deep, dark, wretchedness of our sin and bring us into righteousness by his grace alone. We'll discuss that and more on The Theological Patriot. People are basically good at heart. How many times have you heard someone say that? That a child may act up, they may do something, or even some atrocity that happens. People will try to rationalize it and will make the statement, all people are basically good, aren't they? Not everyone is an Adolf Hitler. Not everyone is a Joseph Stalin. Not everyone is a King Herod. Not everyone is Judas. People are basically good at heart. But is that really true? This discussion has been going on really for thousands of years that this controversy that we're going to examine over the next couple of episodes began in modern times back during the 1500s during a, uh, it came about from the writings of um, Jacobus Arminius, and he he lived at the end of the 16th century and died at the at the beginning of the 17th century, and he was a Dutch reformed theologian who through his own study came to oppose John Calvin and Theodore Beza and the classic reformed doctrine of predestination and this controversy Really, it came about after his death that the followers of Arminius were beginning to question and argue about the classic Reformed doctrines. And this this movement this protest came to be go- 
came to be known as the Remonstrants. And this started to really take hold among many churches and this divisiveness started to cause a lot of rifts and there had to be something that was that was done to save the unity of of Christianity and so there was a gathering a synod um which is basically a council and they met in the Netherlands and there was a response that came about from this council from the senate called the senate of dort where they looked at the teachings of arminius and of his followers what came about in response to the followers of arminius came to be known as the canons of dort as a synopsis of what ca- what was happening at the synod of dort that they looked at arminius's arguments his many of his writings weren't published until after his death so really the controversy came from his followers and them protesting them taking it further than he did and what came about with the canons of dort was a response to by classic reformed theologians that came to be known as the five points of calvinism or using the acrostic tulip as a clever way to sum it up now it's when you look at tulip it's really just a scratch it's just scratching the surface of what reformed theology is and really when we look at this first point of calvinism the t in tulip being total depravity and whenever you whenever you hear that word total um that may that may cause you to think that people are as bad as they could be humans are just utterly and completely sinful they can never do anything good but that's not what is being communicated by the tea and tulip by total depravity that what is really being communicated is man is unable 
to do the will of God and cannot save himself, cannot bring about his own salvation apart from the grace of God. As John MacArthur said, trying kind of summing up the uh, total depravity, he says, it is man's universal unwillingness and inability to come to God. And what kind of comes along with this is the doctrine of original sin, which some may think of original sin, thinking of Adam and Eve's original sin, them not following God's commands and eating the fruit from the tree at the center of the garden. That's not what original sin means. That it's the con that original sin is the consequences of the original sin. That when once Adam and Eve sinned against God in the Garden of Eden, all of creation fell. That there was not one part of creation that was not affected by their by sin in some way. That we see in Romans chapter 8, verse 22, that it says, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth. All of creation has been affected by Adam and Eve's sin. That when we say total depravity, it's meaning the effect, the all-encompassing of sin on human beings and on creation. That it wasn't just a small thing. That it wasn't just something that affected Adam and Eve. But Adam is our representative. That he was the one that God appointed as our representative. That Paul says, Romans 5.19 for just as through one man's disobedience sin entered into the world, so also through one's obedience many were made righteous. So Adam was our representative. Many people will say the first Adam and Jesus being the second Adam. That through Adam's disobedience to God from that moment on to the end of the earth every single human being except for Jesus has been corrupted by sin 
And while some people may be uncomfortable using the word, using the phrase total depravity, one phrase that you could use that kind of messes up the acrostic tulip, but it may sound better on your ears is radical corruption. That radical or meaning that someone is at their root, at their core, corrupted. Showing that people aren't basically good. People are basically evil. Paul Washer gives the example of a small baby. That if you ever held a small baby, that they will try to try to reach for something and you have to pull them back. Maybe it's a piece of jewelry. Maybe it's something sharp. But they want it and they keep reaching for it. And you keep pulling their hands back. That if you took the mind of that small baby and the desire of that small baby and put it in the body of an 18-year-old, that they would kill you in an instant for whatever that, that they're reaching for and wouldn't have a second thought about it. That's how corrupt that we are. That's how sinful that we are. That from conception, we are enemies of God. That David says in Psalm 51.5, Into sin was I born, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now, he wasn't saying that his mother committed a sin when she gave birth to him, nor are they saying that she was committing adultery or did something scandalous to conceive him. He's saying from conception, from the beginning of my life, before I was truly fully formed in the womb of my mother, I have been a sinner. That showing how far back that his sinful state goes that it's it wasn't when once he was birthed once he came out of the birth canal that he was all of a sudden a sinner it was from the very very beginning from when he was just the smallest bunch of cells. From conception, he was a sinner. And also, as you go throughout the scriptures, we see example after example of the scriptures showing us how sinful that we are. 
Genesis 6-5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Now, he didn't say some of the intents of his heart. No, he says all of the intents of their heart, every intent of the thoughts of his heart are evil continually. Then you jump down a couple of chapters in chapter 8, verse 21 of Genesis. It says, this is after the flood and after the waters have subsided. It says, the Lord smelled the soothing aroma. And the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. And I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. So even though we are wretchedly sinful, even though every intent of the thoughts of our hearts are evil continually, God will not destroy the earth. Not that we don't deserve it, because we definitely deserve it. But God made a covenant with himself that he would not flood the earth again. Then you jump to the book of Romans. If you ever begin to feel good about yourself, flip to the book of Romans where God uses the Apostle Paul to take us down a couple of notches real quick. That Paul, describing us as humans, he says in chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, there is none who is righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues continually deceive. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no one who fears God. There is no fear of God in their eyes. And then one of the most famous verses, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But you may say, but people do good works. I mean, look at look at Mother Teresa. Look at anybody. Look, name any good person that you, you think you know. Maybe you have a neighbor that helps you out. Maybe they mow their lawn, maybe they mow your lawn for you. You can go over and ask them for help moving something, and they'll be there in a flash. 
you say, well, aren't they good? Or you look at anybody. Think of the best person that you know. And you say, well, they're basically good. Sure, they may make a couple of bad choices, but they're basically good. They do some good works. Or you may be talking to somebody and they'll say, well, I hope at the end of my life I stand before God and my good outweigh my bad and God lets me into heaven. But see, that's a misunderstanding of who we are. That at our core, even all the good things that we may do cannot outweigh our sin. Because when you look at it, how many sins did it take for the entire creation to be thrown under corruption? How many sins? This is really easy. One. One sin. That shows how filthy and dirty sin is. That it takes one sin to throw all of creation, all of the good things that God created into complete and utter filth. To cause creation to groan continually. And I can guess, and I know for myself, I've sinned way more than one time. So, there's no doubt in my mind how wretched that I am, how evil that I am in the sight of God. That to my core, I am a wretched, filthy, dirty sinner. That I cannot do enough good. Because if I do one thing that's good, or if I do a million things that are good, and one thing that's bad, totally wipes out all those good deeds. That you cannot do enough good. Isaiah tells us what our good deeds are in the sight of God. He says in Isaiah 64, 6, For all of us have been like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy garments. And all of us wither like a leaf. Our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. He says, We have become like one who is unclean. Have you ever seen someone with leprosy? If you haven't, please take warning before you search it on Google. It's not not something pretty to look at. That if you were to go into the Middle East and someone said, this is a leper colony, you would smell it before you got there. That leprosy is a skin-eating disease. That literally your limbs, 
your your fingers, your toes, your nose, skin will fall off. Limbs will fall off. That you smell like dead flesh. That we see stories throughout the New Testament of someone with leprosy. And traditionally, those people would, whenever they would, if they had to walk through a town or a city, they would be covered up head to toe. And as they walked, they would yell, unclean, unclean. So these were, this was a, this is a filthy disease. But Isaiah is comparing us, all of humanity, each and every person is like one who is unclean. But all of our good deeds are like filthy garments, are like filthy rags, other translations say. Literally, it is like our good deeds are like a tampon. That if you took a dirty, filthy tampon, you put it in a box, wrapped it up in pretty paper, and you came before God and presented it to him, you say, God, these are my good deeds. That's what it's like. The dirtiest, filthiest thing that you can think of. You wrap it up pretty. And you say, here are my good deeds. Look at how great they are. Look at how pretty this is. But inside, it's dirty, nasty, smelly, of no use. That's what you are. That's what I am. When I try to say that I have good deeds. That I hope my good deeds outweigh my bad. That I cannot do enough good. To think that God will be pleased with me left to myself left in my sinful state I will run away from God as quickly as possible because I love my sin it feels good it gives me that high It makes those endorphins in my brain start firing on all cylinders. Left to myself, I love my sin. I don't want anything to do with God because he'll ruin all the fun. That's what total depravity is. It's not that we are as bad as we could be. Because even Hitler, even King Herod, all of them were restrained. Do you look at the beginning of the book of Job? 
where Satan, the accuser, comes before God and presents himself. God asks him where he's where he's been. He says, I've been traveling here and there, walking about on the earth. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? That you look at who initiates that, that it was God. God gave the accuser permission to go after Job. That God said, you can go this far. You can go after his possessions, but no farther. Okay, now you can go after his health. Okay, now you can, that God had his limits on what he would allow Satan to do. That you think about the most horrendous and awful person and even they are restrained that God only allows people to go so far before he will stop them And one, I believe it was Martin Luther said, the devil is God's devil. He has him on a chain. That we are God's creation. He only lets us go so far. We may think Adolf Hitler was an anomaly. But Adolf Hitler is just one example when God lets someone go and act out on their deepest desires. We think Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer are anomalies. We think these evil people are just anomalies. No. They are what we could be. That if God pulled back his hands just a little bit on us, we could be just as bad, if not worse, than Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Mao Zedong, all combined. But the only difference between each one of us and them, if you are a child of God, is the grace of God. That's it. That's the only thing that keeps you from being as evil as those people are or were. That's it. That if you think you're basically good, imagine this. If we were to take the, 
if we were to come up with a little microchip and plant it behind your ear that would record every one of your thoughts. And then after, after a week, we gathered up all of your friends, all of your family, your whole town, and we projected it onto a big screen. What would be on that recording? Would your friends still be your friends after they watch that? Would anyone want anything to do with you after they watch that? Would you say you were basically good? I know I wouldn't. But only by the grace of God am I not as bad as I could be. Only by the grace of God am I not completely, radically depraved. Because left to my own devices, I would not want anything to do with God. Next episode, we will look at the you in Tulip, the unconditional election. Asking the question, does God only elect some for salvation? And if he does, what is it based on? Is it based on someone's good works? I'm Jeff Rubidoux, and I am the Theological Patriot.